We'll leave it to resurrection to plan a 12-hour service and uh, that not be enough time. <laughs> We're running behind on a 12-hour service. <laughs> so uh, I've really enjoyed listening to all the homilies tonight, and I'm, I'm going to do the humble thing and just cut mine super short because I didn't really prepare that much. <laughs> Yeah, we'll catch up. So, and honestly, like, when I was preparing for it, um, the word was what Matt brought last hour, that the Lord makes a way out of no way, uh, truly. And uh, I just want to share just a few stories. Um, But first, if we could imagine being at the Red Sea. You know, I love Psalm 77. It's like a a poetic retelling of the Red Sea. And there's one verse uh, where he says, the psalmist says, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, your footprints were unseen. And it kind of gives us this image of, of like 100-story tall Jesus wading through the Red Sea. And because he's there, the water flees and, and it's he himself and the wind of the Spirit that the people actually walk through. Because, I mean, I just normally think about the wind and, oh, wouldn't that be cool to see the water on either side? But, but it was actually the Lord himself. The psalm tells us it was he who was making a path through the sea. He himself was going through, going before. And just how cool that is just to think the Lord was in the midst of the waters. Um, whether it was, you know, like... 500-foot invisible Jesus or the Holy Spirit or, you know, Jesus was made the cloud and the fire, and he's like, Holy Spirit, you take the Red Sea. I'll take Pharaoh and his army. I'll hold them back. You make a way through the sea. But it's just so cool to imagine God himself, his presence there, making a way for us. And, and the Red Sea is connected to our baptism in such a powerful way. And yeah, when Jesus says, take up your cross, follow me, um, I will destroy death, he, he charts the path that we're going to walk. Uh, he, he does it. He says, follow after me. In a sense, in the same way that the children went through the sea, um, he says, go, go my path, because I've already done it. I've gone ahead of you. I've gone before you. He makes a way where there's no way. But try to imagine being the children of Israel on the Red Sea. I mean, it's really hard for us, because we know the end of the story. We know, oh, well, they're going to go through the Red Sea. Why, aren't they, why are they so freaking out? And yet, if we can, just use our imaginations, go back to that moment. Yeah, you just left Egypt. You're in the middle of the desert. You've been wandering around. And all of a sudden, oh my goodness, you see in the distance, you see the, the, the clouds from the dust that Chariot's army is kicking up. And then you look, and there's just this vast body of water, and there's no way through. We all say, I say, man, wouldn't it have been cool to be at the Red Sea, just to have been in that deliverance moment? And are you nuts? Are you kidding me? None of us would have wanted to be there. And I know this is true because any time just the slightest problem comes up in our lives, we're freaking out about it. And most of our problems don't have swords. <laughs> Thanks, Margie Fawcett, for that one. She was helping me out. Uh, yeah, we, we freak out because we don't see the way forward. Whenever any Red Sea moment comes to us, we do not see a way. And of course we can't because we don't have the imagination because God's going to do something outside of the box. 
He's got it in his plans already. Imagine the disciples at this hour, at 1255 on the Saturday night after Jesus was crucified. Can we use our imaginations to get back to that moment? Because we know the end of the story. So we're like, well, what, you know, what's the big deal? But put yourself in Peter's shoes. What is he thinking? They're probably still awake. There's no way they're sleeping after all that's happened. They're wired. They're afraid. They're ready for the knock on the door in the middle of the night that's going to take them away and do to them what they did to Jesus. Peter's thinking, I guess it's back to Galilee for me. Just I'll pick up the fishing. Think about Mary Magdalene. The confusion she might have been feeling. He cast seven demons out of me. He, he loved me like, like I never thought. How could it be over? Just imagine the complete dead end. I mean, God is oftentimes the God of the 11th hour, but this was well beyond the 11th hour. It was over and done. So I want to share a story just to conclude about how this happened in our midst for a family here. Many of you know this story. Um, I asked the Ronies if I could have permission to share uh, the story about Judah, their son, because this is the, the greatest Red Sea moment that I've ever uh, personally witnessed. Some of you may know that Scott and Sarah have adopted two children, Elena, Jelena, and, and Judah. And when they first adopted Judah, the father wasn't around, and so he didn't si- sign away his rights. And they got Judah from Texas, flew back up here, and were, were loving their son, enjoying uh, the, the family that God had just created for them, and they get a call not too long after they get back that all of a sudden the father found out who adopted him, and he, he decided, no, I don't want those people raising my son, and he, he filed a lawsuit. And because he had not signed away his rights, the adoption agency basically said to Scott and Sarah, you have no chance. You have no chance. He's the biological father, and he didn't sign away his rights. You have no chance. And yet, because it's a legal thing, it was drawn out, and it took several months for it to conclude. And so this whole time, they still have Judah growing in their attachment to him every day, loving him, saying, he's our son. He's with us. And, and this, this guy, he's not a good guy. They, they had had a good bond with the birth mom, um, and through that, they were able to find out he, he's not a good guy. He would not be suitable to take care of Judah. And here they were, loving Judah as their own, and also having a much better shot at giving him the life he needs, and yet it's all going to be taken, stripped away from them. I was working with Sarah at this time on the children's ministry, and, and Margie, Sarah, and myself— Um, walking through this with them, and it was excruciating. And I remember about four months into it, crying out to the Lord in my apartment, not knowing how this was going to end, just saying, how can you let this happen, God? How can this be? You have to do something, but what can you do? There was really nothing that could be done. And I remember talking to Scott and Sarah um, end of January, and we just said, well, we'll just pray. That's all we can do. So we gathered their small group and a few other people. We had a night of prayer. Just cried out to the Lord for Judah. A few weeks went by. I saw Sarah. I said, how are you doing today? She said, not great. Got to go do a blood test, send the blood down to the lab so that they could verify the DNA. Just, you know, just one more step. Just one more kind of like uh, finger in the wound. And I just, I didn't know what to say. A few weeks passed by, and 
Um, I remember seeing them on the Ash Wednesday service just in the back of the, of the row, just looking completely despondent because the time was getting nearer that they were going to have to say goodbye. And I remember Sarah saying, like, I, they're going to have to come and get him because I'm not going to fly down there. I just can't fly down there and leave him. They're going to have to come and, like, literally take him out of my arms. It's the only way I can give him up. And then later that week or soon thereafter, they get this notice from the DNA testing people. He was not the biological father. 100% not. Those tests, they have, like, degrees. Like, you, like 10% you might be, 15% you might be. Zero percent chance that this man was the biological father. And when they talked with the mom, she was like, I have no idea who else it would be. It, it's him. He's, he's the father. And yet the test came back. He's not the father. Case closed right there. Everything done. Ended. And Judah Roney is here with us today, three years later. The most incredible Red Sea experience I've ever been a part of. And there was no way we had the imagination on the other side of that to see the deliverance that the Lord would bring. And so as we, as we continue this night, and as we continue not only to receive, but I think also um, to be interceding for the, the church around the world, for our world, for our community, be praying for that faith that will believe in a God who makes a way out of no way. Pray that faith, as the disciples said to Jesus, increase our faith. Let's pray that the Lord would increase the faith of his people throughout the world so that he could continue to prove himself the God who makes a way out of no way. Amen.